So God, we are, um, like I said earlier, we're, we believe that you are with us. And we believe from what you said, Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in us, which means the Holy Spirit is here. And that he's among us. And he's able to talk to us individually. He's able to show us things individually. And uh, always through your word. So I pray that you would give us each clarity of vision and clarity of hearing. So if there's things you want to show us as a group or individually, or things you want to say to us as a group or individually, that we would have clarity in that and know exactly what you're asking us to do. Let me ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So my favorite TV show growing up was Andy Griffith's show. I've never... I've never had a sermon illustration from the Andy Griffith show. Everybody knows this show? I mean, if you don't know it, then you've got you to know it because it's part of Americana. It was my dad's favorite TV show. I mean, watched it all the time. But one of, my, one of the episodes that came to mind recently, so uh, Andy Griffith is the sheriff on the right, and Barney Fife is his deputy, and he's just kind of a goofball. But this is in church, and he's falling asleep during a sermon. Barney is. All right? And he falls asleep. He kept, you know, he's... We all know what that feels like, right? Slick falling asleep in church, right? He's nodding his head, and it's, it's, a, it's a pastor, a guest pastor, who's doing a sermon on, the topic of the sermon is slow down. You know, don't be in a hurry. That's, that's what he talked about. So, but Barney didn't hear any of it. He was sleeping, you know, nodding. So then the next one, speaker, and saying, hey, what a great... Over there, they're greeting uh, the, the guest speaker and saying, hey, what a great sermon that was. And uh, Aunt B says, oh, the sermon was magnificent. Again, the sermon was on slow down, don't be in a hurry. Aunt B says, the sermon was magnificent. Clara, the other woman up there, says, oh, it was such a wonderful lesson for us. And then Andy says, oh, yeah, it hit the nail on the head. And then Barney, who didn't hear any of the sermon because he was sleeping, said, oh, yeah, go to the next slide. Yes, sir, that's one subject you can't just talk enough about, sin. And that wasn't even the topic of the sermon, right? But... That's one subject you just can't talk enough about, sin. And he said that because that's typically most people's experience of church. Well, they just we talk about sin. But today, we, we don't, maybe it doesn't get talked about as, as much or enough. Sometimes understandable because we're concerned about the, oh, you know, the heavy turn or burn, hellfire, brimstone, so we don't want to talk about sin. I actually heard a TV preacher say one time on a TV interview, I don't like to talk much about sin. And I remember thinking, really? How do you... But let's be honest, you don't hear a whole lot of sermons in churches. Even here, I don't, you know, I don't talk about sin. But today we are. All right, today we are. Because, uh, and we, I do mention, I don't avoid it. But today we're going to look at sin and what its effect is on us and the function that it plays or the role that it plays or what has to happen in order for us to have what, what I've referred to in the past as kind of revival. So I've done a sermon series, go to the next slide, they're called Wanting More. I want more. I want more of God. I want more. And I'm, I've changed the tagline verse at the bottom, we've used this a couple weeks ago, but where Paul says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And he said, then he also says, and I dot, dot, dotted this, but he also says, I want to experience his suffering. I didn't dot, dot, dot it because I wanted to leave that out. I just didn't have space on the slide anymore, right? But what does it mean for us to want more of God 
I don't mean more of religion. I don't mean more of uh, morality. I mean more in your relationship with God that Paul would say that. I want to know Christ more. And at that point, he was in prison. He had endured all kinds of things for the sake of Christ's suffering. And he's saying, I want more. I want to know this more. I want to know Christ more. Just like I might, you know, when I was, you know, dating my wife, I want to know Kathy more. So he's saying, I want to know more, and I want to know Christ more, and I want to know the power of his resurrection in my life. So, but in the context of that, so it's really about our desires. Our desires when it comes to religion, Christianity, following Jesus. Because sometimes we can fall into the trap, which I've fallen into at times. Well, I've got the box checked off. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, the box checked off, I'm good. And if you have that mentality and that alone, then wanting more is a foreign thing to you because I, don't, I got it, I got the checkbox, I'm in. But that's not Christianity. Following Jesus means following Jesus, not just checking off the box. And today we're going to look at the role that sin plays and getting in the way of that, or maybe sometimes what our sins are, are things that we think we want more of because we want more out of life, but we end up wanting something else other than God because God's not doing it for us, right? So, um, so the idea of wanting more. So I, I've said this last number of weeks. Revival, there's different marks of revival. So this is, a, we're going to look at, we start, we're going to look at the same passage we did a couple weeks ago and last week. Exodus, but anytime a revival happens in the Bible or throughout history, whether it was the Welsh Revival of the 1850s, Shantung Revival the 1920s, Great Awakening in the U.S., these things are always present. Status quo is shocked. Somebody's status quo gets kind of rattled. Sin gets exposed. Supernatural stuff happened. God manifests himself in significant ways, and there's strong opposition. Now, I didn't add this too, but anytime there's revival, God, God does something that actually... Uh, grows his people and as a result of all that. All right, so Exodus 30, go to the next slide, Exodus 32. If you remember this, if you haven't been here, so God's people were all slaves in Egypt. Um, we don't know exactly, but it could have been a million of them, slaves in Egypt. Um, Moses leads them out through all these supernatural plagues that God finally convinces Pharaoh to let them go, even though Pharaoh didn't want to let them go. They all go through the wilderness, heading on to what's going to be the promised land, modern-day Israel, because that was God's promise to them. Um, Pharaoh changes his mind. He chases him, remember, and Moses splits the Red Sea, or God splits it. God's people walk through it. As soon as Pharaoh comes in, they all get destroyed. So God's people had seen God do incredible things. So they had seen these plagues. So he, they had experienced supernatural things of God. So what's happening at this point the golden calf comes in because Moses was up on the mountain getting more clarity from God about the commandments and the laws. He had already told them. That God had already given them the Ten Commandments. So they knew that. But Moses was up on the mountain not just to get more information, but he, want, he was getting to know God. And the Israelites were a little bit impatient, a little bit, a lot of bit impatient. And you know, Moses was gone for 40 days. And they actually say to Aaron, Moses' brother, who was the high priest, hey, what happened to Moses? We didn't know what happened to him. We need, we need something to lead us. We need something to worship because Moses, this Moses, they talk about him like he's nobody. This Moses, he's gone. We don't know. If, so they're impatient because God wasn't working on their time frame. 
right? Which you and I can relate to, I think. So they, Aaron just didn't know what else to do, and he makes these really stupid blunders. He convinces them to take off all their earrings and their jewelry that they got from the Egyptians when they left Egypt. Actually, Egypt's over there, right? All right. And they melt it down, and Moses sculpts this calf, the golden calf, which was an Egyptian kind of thing. And you might think, well, um, you know, we, I never bow down to an idol, but an idol basically represents what you believe is going to give you life, meaning, and prosperity. All right? Uh, money, sex, power, control. I want control over my own life. So we, we may not bow down to golden calves, but we all have golden calves. We all have things that we think, if I had that, if I had this, then I'd have fullness of life. That's what an idol is. Something you look to to give you fullness of life. Fullness of joy, fullness of peace, or whatever. So we don't do that, but we do other things. At least I do. I think we all do, right? So they have this golden calf, and the Bible tells us that uh, Aaron made this calf, and then the people get up the morning after the calf. It says they, they were engaged in feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. You know, we don't hear those terms very much anymore, but other, other versions translated as kind of wild party. Um, the Hebrew word just means they rose, arose to play, but they weren't playing like wiffle ball or anything. Right? But other, the clear sense of most translators is, and we know this because of God's reaction, there was, it, it got out of control. There was sexual morality going on. There was just way out of control because this now, they now had control over who, they, who was going to be their source of prosperity and fulfillment in life. It was the golden calf. And we, all right, so it's out of control. So then Aaron's still up on, I mean, Moses still up on the mountain wild, out of control among God's people, sin. And again, you might, we might think, initially, what was, what was so wrong with having a party? But again, we see by God's reaction, there must have been way much more going on than what the Bible, I mean, he, he was, God was angry. So I'm, I'm actually going to read a large passage of Scripture from what happened next. And I thought about just summarizing it, but I just thought, well, I want to read it because I want you to kind of see and feel the story because the next 28 verses, God gets angry. And Moses is angry. And you and I might think, wait, I don't, I'm not into this angry God thing. You know, I want Jesus of the New Testament. But it's good to be reminded that the Bible tells us Jesus is the exact representation of God. He's the icon of God. So this is Jesus, too. I mean, God's not different in the Old Testament. It's not like all of a sudden he his temper tantrums wore off, and then he became Jesus. The Jesus of the new was with the God of the old. So this is, this is but it's kind of wrestling. We have to wrestle with it. God's angry, all right? So here's the passage. So the Lord then tells Moses, quick, go down the mountain. It's a wild party going on here. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. And again, God commanded them to live that way. He said, you will be my precious treasure. I'm going to be with you. Here's what you have to do. Here's how you have to live. But I'm going to be with you. I'm, you're going to prosper. You're going to flourish. You're going to be my treasure. So God wasn't just saying, do it my way. He said, no, no. 
do it this way because I want this for you. That's important to remember, all right? Go down, go down quickly. They have melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said, I have seen, he's saying this to Moses, I've seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. It's like, wow. So obviously what they were doing was something that spurred God's, God's fierce anger. I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. And this is an interesting conversation Moses has with God because then Moses tries to pacify the Lord. He says, why are you so angry with your own people who you brought out of the land of Egypt with such great power and such strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? This is Moses saying to God, turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind. Does God change his mind? Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give them all this lands that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. Then verse 14, so the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. So God was angry because they were not just doing wild stuff, they were rejecting his way of fullness of joy, peace, and life. They thought they could do it on their own. That's what a golden calf's all about. You can do it on your own. I'm not going to do it that way anymore. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain. He held in his hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, Ten Commandments. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. So when Joshua, who was with Moses, Heard the moisturous noise of people shouting below them. He explained, ex- exclaimed to Moses, it sounds like war in the camp. But Moses replied, no, it's not a shout of victory or a wailing of defeat. What I hear the sound is of celebration. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. So Moses now is angry. Not anger like flying off the handle. God told them, if you live this way, you'll have life. If you don't abide by these things, you won't. He burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made, and and he burned it. Then he ground it into powder, threw it in the water, and forced the people to drink it. I don't fully understand that, but obviously he's mad. Finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded, what did these people do to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? Oh, don't get upset, my lord, Aaron replied. So Aaron, they're brothers, right? You yourself know how evil these people are. So Aaron's kind of backing up a little bit, kind of blaming. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us from Egypt. So I told them, whatever gold jewelry, take it off. And they brought it to me. I simply threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. I think it's the stupidest thing Aaron could have said. Like, da-da. When we were told in this previous chapter, he crafted it. He made it. So he's, he's totally not taking responsibility, right? We're all good at that. Moses told them, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. And this is where it gets kind of intense, intense in terms of what God's anger is towards sin, all right? Each of you take your swords and go back and forth. I'm sorry, back up one. Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. 
So he stood at the entrance of the camp and he shouted, All of you who are on the Lord's side, come here and join me. And all the Levites, one of the twelve tribes, gathered around the priests. Moses told them, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Again, this is one of those times where it's, it's kind of hard to kind of grasp onto, right? Each of you take your swords, go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other. Kill everyone, even your brothers, friends, and neighbors. The Levites obeyed the idea of killing everybody who was persisting in this kind of wildness. So some obviously stopped. The Levites obeyed Moses' command, and about 3,000 people died that day. I mean, when I read that, and then I'm like, Phew. all right. Then Moses told the Levites, today you have ordained yourself for the service of the Lord, for you obeyed him even though he meant killing your own sons and brothers. Today you have earned a blessing. The next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a terrible sin, but I'm going to go back up to the Lord in the mountains. Perhaps I'll be able to attain forgiveness for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord up the mountain. Oh, what a terrible sin these people have committed. They have made gods of gold. But now, God, if you only forgive their sin, but if not, and this is incredible to Moses to say this, but if not, erase my name from your book. In other words, take it out on me. But the Lord said to Moses, I'm not going to erase their name if those who have sinned against me. Now go lead the people to the place I told you about. My angel will lead the way before you, and I will come to the people. I will call the people to account. I will certainly hold them responsible for their sins. I mean, again, you read this. I mean, I, I feel like every time, with every verse, I feel like ten more pounds to put on my shoulders. Like, ah, oh, what? What must God feel like about our sin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but I'm still saying we know what God feels like. Towards sin, not simply because God is anti-sin. He's so pro what you can be that if you reject Him by choosing to not be what uh, live life His way, then it, you won't be that. You won't get the joy and peace. And so it, it, it angers God, not like off the handle anger. But he, all right. Then, then the last part: the Lord sent a great plague upon the people because they worshipped the calf Aaron had made. All right. So heavy, they sinned, God's angry, Moses' angry, God wants to wipe them out, 3,000 are killed, and it just kind of makes you realize the intensity of what sin must do to the heart, to heart of God, what my sin and your sin must do to the heart of God. And yes, we know Christ died on the cross, I'm not, I'm not taking that out, but we just know that that's how God feels towards sin, which makes the cross seem even more incredible, right? So then... In Exodus 33, the Lord says to Moses, get going among the people, and you the people who brought them the land, go, go to the land I told you to go to. I will give this land to your descendants. And then verse 2, I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey. Read that next phrase with me out loud, starting with but. But I will not travel among you. Do it again. But I will not travel among you. One more time. But God says, but I will not travel among you. What? For you are stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, you would surely destroy, I would surely destroy you on the way. So God was with them when they left Egypt. He was behind the plagues. The deliverance, supernatural. 
they're free from their bondage of slavery. God was with them when they crossed the Jordan River supernaturally, and they were this close to death, and God rescued them. They had the pillar of fire by day and the cloud by night that was leading them because God was with them. But now God says, I'm sending an angel. I'm not going. I'm sending an angel. I'm not going. And it's not, we tend to think of it in human terms, at least I do. Well, I'm not going because I'm just kind of like, it's not a temper tantrum. God just knows I'm not going to go with you. Because you're stubborn and rebellious people. And if I did, I would just destroy you along the way. So it's not a temper tantrum. It's just God saying, I'm not going to do that. Again, remember, he had, he had told Moses, let me just wipe them out and I'll start over with you. I want a chosen people, a treasured people, who will accept the way I say life should be lived so that they can have this fullness of joy and prosperity in life. But he says, now, I'm not going with you. Now, this part of the passage, Moses is hearing this, but the people also know what's been said. We don't know, I don't know if they, Moses repeated them or they heard God or whatever, all right? So the people who had been wild in sin... And some probably were more wild. Some were probably just kind of, well, everybody else is doing this, so I'll do it too. They hear this, but I will not travel among you. Next verse. Go to the next one. When the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning, and they stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. So, repentance, right? So, they were already, who knows if they were, I mean, things were already kind of somber because Levites had killed some people. It's horrible. We'd pay for our sin. A plague. And then, but now God says I'm not going to be with them. And when they heard that, something finally clicked. Like, and they went into mourning. Like, oh, we, and scripture talks about there's two different kinds of mourning with our sin. Mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. There's repentance, which means I mourn over my sin and I will change. But there's remorse, which is simply my sin has got me in a deep hole and I can't get out and I feel so bad about my situation. All right, It's two different things. Actually, in find the right verse here before I... In Corinthians, uh, Paul says, the kind of sorrow God wants to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. So this is, this is the kind of sorrow God wants because they didn't only have, they didn't only sorry for their sin. And then this next part may be kind of odd to like explain it. And they stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. Like, well, part of that, and the passage goes on in Exodus 33, God told Aaron to tell them, I want the, I want the jewelry and fine clothes off. Where'd they get those? When they left Egypt, Pharaoh was so ready for them to leave after all the plagues and so were the people. God told them, ask your masters for jewelry and fine clothes. And they were like, yeah, take them, get out of here, take them, get out of here. So they have all this stuff on that, were, that was evidence of what God did, but also they were finally, if you want to say image, they, they, they were looking good, right? 
They had stuff. They had fine clothes and jewelry. They had the kind of things they wanted in life. We want provision and prosperity. And God tells them to take it off. And so they stopped. They took it off. Some, some of the versions say they, other than stop, or say they stripped off their jewelry. So it wasn't just a matter of sackcloth and ashes. We've got to look bad for God because that's not the heart of God. Toward, but they said, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to rely on this. We're going to trust God to provide. We're not going to rely on this anymore. So godly repentance was remorse plus an action where they said, I'm, we're stopping this. I'm taking it off. I'm taking off these, this jewelry. I'm taking off this fine clothes. Um, that was how God did something for us, but that's not. So it was an action that kind of said their remorse was more than just worldly remorse, like Paul says in Corinthians. It wasn't just like, oh, I feel so bad about my sin. They're like, no. And because what, what, what was the key? The key was, God's not going to be with us anymore. That really shook them. God's not going to be with us anymore. I mean, you don't know if it was a moment where one or two or many in the group all of a sudden were like, what? And then others started realizing the ramifications like, he's not going to be with us anymore? Because that was most important to them. They, they weren't, they realized it wasn't so much about here are all the things God did for them. They're like, no, we we know what it's like to have God with us. We just experienced that in the last few months, leaving Egypt and crossing the Red Sea. And we know what it means with God's with us. And he's not going to be with us because of what we did? Because, and it wasn't like a tit-for-tat thing. It was because God was saying, no, I can't. Holy God can't deal with, can't hang around unholy things. Whether it's my unholy things or your unholy things or their unholy things, right? So I'm, I'm saying this because it's easy for us to kind of criticize me at least. Ah, look at those stupid Israelites doing these stupid choices. But let's be honest, we, we all should be able to see ourselves in that mass of people. Like, we don't know what we would have done. And maybe most of us might have been like, it's just a little bit of a golden, cans, golden calf dance party. I mean, it was more than that. But. So they stopped. They, they, they changed. And sometimes it was like changing on a dime, as they say. They realized, oh, I, I got to stop that. So here's, here's the question, next one. The question I had last week was, do you want anything? Because again, wanting more is the title. Do you want anything else more than you want more of God? That's what I had last week. And I'll probably put that up again next week. Is there anything you want that, more than you want more of God? Like if somebody were to say, you can have all this money and this house and all these things. You won't get more of God. You might still have your box checked for heaven. You won't get more of God. If you want that and you get that, but not more of God, which would you want? Or if I had this in my relationships with my wife, my husband, I want that. But if the choice was that, or more of God. Now, I'm not saying God gives that, but, but if that was a choice, well, I've already got my heaven box checked off. I kind of like to have this kind of intimacy with my spouse. I kind of like this kind of money. I kind of like this kind of control over my life. So I've already got the box checked. 
the Israelites would think. I'm, I'm, I'm God's part of God's people, or you might say I'm a Christian. But again, the question is, is there anything you, that would satisfy you more? And, and the way we answer that question is often like, what do you, what do you like for me, I think about what, what are the things I worry most about? What are the things I say I want? And do I want those more than I want God? It's not wrong to want things. It's not, want, wrong, it's, not, it's not wrong to want a heater that works and a car that works and food on your table. It's not wrong to want those things. But if you want this sense of provision, prosperity, intimacy, and that includes our sexuality, if you want those things and you think that's what's going to give you what you've always wanted in life, that's the golden calf. Right? I want that. I want that. And I'll work hard to get that, and I deserve that. But do you want that more than you want God? So I changed it this week because obviously obedience is really important to God, of course. So then I said, do you want anything else more than you want to obey God? That maybe puts it a little more into practical terms. Are there, is there something, well, you know, I, I know I do this, and the opening psalm talked about you can't be in God's presence if you tell lies. But you think about it. I, I'm just, I didn't, I just tr- twisted the truth a little bit there. It's just a little bit of sexual fantasy. It's just a li- I'm good still, right? I'm, I, why can't I have that? I need something. I need a little bit more of this and a little more of that. And those are golden calves, right? Those are sins. So then it comes down to obeying. What is it? Is there, is there something in your life, and if I had a mirror I'd put in front of myself as something in my life, because God's been kind of wrestling with me on some things lately, that I, that I would say, well, it's, it's not really an obedience issue, but it kind of is. But, but do, you, do I want more of God than I, do I want to obey God more than I want the life that I've crafted for myself? You know, Jesus People, and, and a response might be, understandably, well, you know, if I'm a Christian, I already have God. Yeah, all right, you got, your, you got your papers to heaven, whatever. But there's a difference between that and having the kind of life-giving, fulfilling, thrilling kind of intimacy with God that he promises. Jesus says this in John chapter 14, if you have my commands and you obey them, That's how I know you love me. And then he says this. The one who loves me is going to be loved by my father. I too will love them and show myself to them. So obedience means Jesus says, I'm going to reveal myself to you. You're going to get to know me in a way that's unique and life-giving and fulfilling and satisfying. Not just know me doctrinally. You're going to know me. So if you obey, Jesus says, that's how I know you love me. And if you love me, I'm going to reveal myself to you. I'm going to show myself to you. That's what, that's what I'm saying want more. Is that the want more that I want more? Do I want Jesus to show himself to me? Do I want that kind of relationship with Jesus? Not, I'm not saying more doctrinal purity, more church attendance, more giving. Those may be something part of the equation. But I'm talking about when Jesus says, if you obey me, then I know that you love me, and I'm going to show myself to you. 
And we're going to see next week that Moses has this conversation with God. Like he said, he said I want to see you. I want to know you. And it says that Moses walked with God as a man walks with a friend. That seems so distant from most of our lives as Christians. But that's the, that's the whole part what Jesus wants for us. Because like I said, Jesus says, those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to him. So that's why I said to put the obey up there. Is there an error in your life where God's asking you to obey him, whether it's something you're supposed to start doing or stop doing, and you're like, well, are you willing to let go of that, take off that jewelry, take off those earrings, or willing to take that off and those fine clothes because you want this more? Do you want an intimate... When you read about some of these saints in the past who talk about their experience with God... There's a guy named Blaise Pascal, who's a French writer, mathematician as well. But he talked about experiences with God that, that were mystical, but they weren't like wacky. And you read about other people, and even about Paul in the New Testament, he talks about knowing God in a way that was like, wow, I'd love to know God that way. And the power of the resurrection that Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection. It wasn't just power to have power. It was it was the power to forgive, the power to have contentment when things are going wrong. It was the power to live life with peace and joy in spite of what else was going on. It was a supernatural power to live life well. Is that what you want? And is there something, do you have an earring or two on that God says that needs to go? Because I want this for you. So, go to the next one and we'll finish this next one. Uh, well, actually, there's two more. So I told you from revivals, the Shantung revival in China, one of their prayers over and over that was kind of the mantra of the revival was, Lord, revive your church, begin with me. So if we want revival in the church, I don't mean just this church, but the Church of Bloomington and the Church of America, it starts with individuals. And so it's, it's not like, Lord, give us revival and start with John. Start with John. He needs revival. No, it's not that. Start with me. Is there anything inside of me, God, search me, oh God, know my heart. Is there anything in me that's blocking your work in my life? All right, then we'll finish with this next slide. And it kind of relates to, and we'll leave this in, leads in communion, but it relates to taking off of earrings. Uh, the writer says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off, take off the earrings, stop doing what God wants you to stop doing. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. We don't know what that is, but I think Paul, or the writer is saying that because we all can relate to what that might be for us. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. So the race is to know God in a way. And then this is not up here, but the next part of the passage says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, who, because of the joy that he saw on the other side of the cross, endured the cross. So it speaks of his desire. He knew what the cross would bring for us. So it's that, that example of, you know what? Your desire has to have a longer-term vision, the joy and peace in knowing God. Christ's desire had a longer vision, and the suffering of the cross is that he, he scorned it. Like, not a, not a big deal. Yes, it's a huge deal, but he's like, based on what's going to happen because of this, says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and then sat down at the right hand of God. So when we take communion every Sunday, it's, uh, 
yeah, it's a, it's a religious thing, it's a habitual thing we do, and those can kind of become, uh, if you let it become, it can kind of become like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. But when we do this, when Jesus said, every time you take this, every time you eat this and drink this, you're going to remember me. And what we're remembering is, because Jesus had this desire that he knew would happen, but there were some things he had to walk through first the cross, and we have to let strip off things, take off earrings, stop things that God wants to stop. All because of a promise, though. The promise is, my life's in you. You'll know me. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. So this bread and grape juice don't represent Christ and the power of the resurrection. It's a symbol, but it's also a, a mystery because by putting it in your body, you're saying, I, I, I do want that more than I want the old ways of my life or the current ways of my life that God's telling me to rip off, all right? So Aaron's going to come up and lead us uh, in a song here, but I want you to close your eyes. And uh, just for today, I'm going to, I mean, I might do this other times too. Um, give you a minute of quiet and just between you and God. Um, God, what do you want me to hear today? That's all I want you to ask. God, what do you want me to hear today? All right, before we take this, I'll tell you, this, this was just in the last 24 hours for me, so I, and this relates to this. So I, I'm, 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 I've always been, Kathy and I've always been disciplined about tithing, 10% of our income, and we tend to do 10% of uh, before tax, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. Um, so I was getting my financial stuff ready to have my taxes, how much I gave, and and then last night, in the middle of the night, I woke up, and I thought, you know what, I, I made a little extra money last year teaching at IU, and I, I, I'm not sure if I gave 10% last year of the whole, of the whole package. And I thought, oh, okay, God, now I have this conversation with God. Just, just an oversight, God. Give me, give me a break on this one. But I felt like God's like, and I felt, then I felt like my realization was, oh, no, it's God's money to start with. And I'm not trying to be legalistic, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to go back and do the math over again. And if I owe God money, that sounds weird to say it, right? If I owe God money, it's his money, not mine. All right? But my, 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 my human self was saying, well, it's just an oversight. It, was just, it wasn't a mathematical error, God. I just forgot about it. God's like, well, I, yeah. But I, I want your life to be full, and it starts with, in some cases, how we handle our money. So I'm just... I'm just uh, I'm going to do the math probably today or tomorrow. I think I know what it's going to tell me. I owe God money. That sounds weird, right? But I'm just saying, it's easy to just kind of play the justification. It's not a big deal. God, no. But it's God's money, so I'm going to do what God tells me to do, right? Um, so anyway, here's what we do, exit, uh, communion. Um, Aaron will lead us in a song. You'll come on up. We don't just for our rows. We just come up when you feel led to. Take a wafer. Uh, then we just dip it in the cup. And then most people eat it right away, or you can take it back to your seat. You can do whatever. But we don't drink out of the cup. We just dip, all right? So let me pray. Jesus, you're, you're good. Uh, your love endures forever, and your love is shown to us most enormously in what you did for us on the cross. And uh, we want to follow you. We do want to do what the writer of Hebrews said. So that we want to look to you because, because of the joy set before you, you went through with the suffering of the cross. We want to be those kind of people. And we ask this all in your name. Amen.